It's been quite a month. <laughs> We've had an amazing amount of activity around this place, and uh, many of you have uh, donned special shirts for certain occasions. Now, I, I've got to tell you real quick. The, the lime green shirts, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but for the Presbyterian meeting, there was, uh, there was a lot of controversy about the shirts. Because um, there was a desire not to wear them. <laughs> but uh, so, so we put on special shirts, and we've been cleaning the place up. And uh, it's amazing what can get, as Tammy said, it's amazing what can get done when company's on the way. You know, when company's coming, <laughs> you clean all the way to the corners. So uh, thank you, all of you who have uh, rolled up your sleeves and uh, made this place shine. So many different ways. And I've got my year kicked off so well. Now let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a beautiful place called First Presbyterian. A place of hope, of healing, a place of restoration, learning, transformation, relationships, new and old. Father, be with us today as we draw near your word. Is there something special going on today, later on? I don't know. I, I don't really keep up with the news, but uh, I, I know there's like some kind of game going on, right? There's uh, Some of y'all are invested in it just because maybe one of those uh, the teams in there happens to be from this state. Uh, on Friday night of our presbytery, the, uh, the preacher uh, of the day uh, was, is from Decatur. Uh, Shane Wheeler, he pastors All Souls Fellowship up in Decatur, Georgia, and he, he wore in our pulpit a Falcons jersey. <laughs> and he gave the excuse that, you know, that, that, uh, that the governor had said, you know, it's Falcons Day, right, that day. And so, and so he said, uh, then he went on to, to, to say that Romans 13 said, you're supposed to, you know, obey the, the magistrate, right? So then he, then, he, then he said, so if you have any problem with me wearing this, you know, you can take it up with the Apostle Paul. I thought that was great. <laughs> so anyway, there's a, there's a big game today, and, uh, and, and some of us are in football, some of us are not. I grew, up, uh, I grew up watching a certain college basketball team. Maybe I've mentioned it a time or two. And uh, I've, I've told people I've learned all my I learned all my profanity in Cameron Indoor Stadium, but uh, but I enjoyed watching the Duke boys play, and, uh, and 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 I watched them yesterday uh, for a few minutes towards the end of the game, and I could feel that old. I, I just haven't over, over the last few years. I just haven't had time to, to to invest the way I used to invest emotionally. You know, it's like it's down to the wire, and you just feel that. Um, that burn coming back. I, maybe some of y'all are not into sports at all, so I, I apologize. But there's this, there's this investment that comes from from watching your team, and and you start sounding, you start saying things out loud that you don't normally say, you know, and you start you start shouting at the the screen as if it would help, you know, and and uh, and, and and there's there's a real investment. You know, there, there, there are some people who would have us believe that our particular faith is just like our investment, our preference for one team versus another. 
There is a mood in the country, and there has been for the last couple of decades, of pluralism, which does have respect for differences, and it, and it allows and is tolerant of differences, but it begins to cross the line in ignoring the differences. As though those differences didn't matter, as though you pull for, for, for the Patriots and these people over here pull for the Falcons and we can sit down and, and watch that, that game together and we can, we can be uh, friends later and, and it's no big deal uh, because it's just a, a sporting event, not a big deal. There are some people who would have us believe that the differences between faith are just, you just prefer that team and I, I prefer this team. You happen to be in this state and I happen to live in that state. And it's a mood of pluralism. And I, and I, and I, and I tried to think about how do you wrap your mind around the, the importance of, of respecting differences but continuing to respect that there are differences. Respect each other in the differences but continue to recognize that those differences really do matter. That this isn't just a matter of when, when we're talking about our faith, when we're talking about the distinctives of Christianity, we're not talking about that we're just pulling for one team versus another team. I had a, a Presbyterian minister tell me this. Many, many years ago. Oh, of course, I believe in Jesus, but who am I to say that somebody else? And I said to him, well, who are you to say? <laughs> who are you to say anything then? Because you just expressed an opinion that is very specific. It's a worldview. Who are you to say then? That you should watch out for gravity. I mean, that, see, see, this is what we're talking about. The differences in our faith, either, either we're pointed at God or we're not. Forget the labels. Forget that we're talking about Christianity. Either Jesus is God in human flesh and we're following him and becoming more like him or not. You see, the, the, the differences matter because it's not so much about whether you're pulling for one team or another team. It's not about preferences. It's more like gravity. So I said to him, you know, it, it, would you tell somebody, would you warn somebody at the edge of the cliff, watch out for the edge of the cliff? Of course you would. Because you're talking about a law of gravity. You're talking about, and, and, and so I started thinking, how do I, do I talk about this in terms of one's plausibility structure? No, what does that mean? That's going to take the whole time. Do we even explain what that means? Do I, do I talk about epistemology? Well, what, how do you even, I, had to, I had to pronounce that several times again just to make sure I could say that right this morning. What is pluralism? Do we talk about uh, the, the, the differences in worldview? Well, that's an entire series in itself. So, so it really comes down to this. This is the... The, the, the easiest way I can wrap my mind around it, when, when you begin to say that these differences don't matter, that one faith versus another faith is like one team versus another team, here's what happens. You actually are becoming part of another sect called pluralism that is no longer pointed at God, but makes faith point at people. Do you get it? Do you see what I'm saying? 
And this is what's happening in our schools and our universities. This is the mood of the country. It's shifted from, from respecting differences to having no respect for differences. No longer seeing that the differences actually matter. And we begin to point what our faith is supposed to be pointed at. We're, we're, it, it, we begin to point it, instead of pointing it at God, we begin to point it at people. And we begin to say stupid things. I'm sorry, I, I use the S word. Young people, you know, it's supposed to use that But we begin to say really stupid things. Like, well, we need to be more open-minded. What does that even mean? Think about that for a minute. Be open-minded. That, that's a, a fancy way of dodging the differences and saying they don't matter. The people about whom we might be open-minded, I can guarantee you that the differences matter to them. The people who, who even violently defend their faith, I can guarantee you that the differences matter to them. Understand that open-mindedness is code for humanism, pluralism, pointing your faith at people instead of God. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He said, opening the mind, the purpose of it, like opening the mouth, is to close again on something solid. Opening the mind like opening the mouth, the purpose of it is to close again on something solid, something that nourishes, something that's good for you, like bacon, right? Something that is solid. I'm going to keep working that. I love that. Bacon is good for me. And so today, as we look at what it means to be distinctively Christian, I understand. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And that for, for God to come and visit the planet and for us to just kind of shrug our shoulders and say there are many roads to Rome is to shift your faith off of God and to begin to make faith something else that we're manipulating. Pointing it at people instead of at God. Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty says... Give me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses. Yes, America is a manifestation of this Judeo-Christian worldview that points at God and not at people. It is a manifestation. And, and one of the benefits of it, one of the benefits of it is that we do have a respect for all people. But the doctrine. The doctrine that, that created a country, the doctrine that, that, that opens wide its arms is very particular, very distinctive. So let's take a look at the Trinity this morning. How the Trinity <coughs> distinguishes our faith so powerfully and purposefully. From Matthew chapter 3. Starting with verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. Okay, so Jesus is coming to John for a very particular reason. He's coming to be baptized. God in human flesh being baptized by a prophet, a human. 
John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. We'll get into that in a minute. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's word pointed at the Trinity. The Trinity isn't even a word that's used in the Bible. So why is it so important? Because it distinguishes Christianity as Christian. It's simply a descriptive word, a theological word, for what God says about himself throughout all of Scripture, that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that way, he's revealing himself to us. The first Trinity, the Trinity says this, the Trinity says that God is relational. God relates. We've said in here before, I've said in here before that that, uh, it is uncomfortable when someone says our name wrong, right? Even to say someone's name wrong, even even to find out you've been saying it wrong, isn't that embarrassing? You've been saying their name wrong. You put the emphasis on the wrong syllable or whatever it is. And, and, and you discover, ooh, I've been saying the God is revealing who he is, not just his name. He's revealing himself to us. The Trinity allows God to tell us who he is. And in, in honoring the distinctives of Christianity, it's not just saying, I pull for the patriots. It's saying, I respect gravity. It's saying, God is God, I'm not. It's saying, God can reveal who he is, and I need to pay attention. This isn't a matter of preference. Now, again, I'm not saying that, that, that we're mean about it. Absolutely not. The opposite. And David Kinman wrote a book called Unchristian, and he pointed out how judgmental uh, the, the church has become because they become uh, some people in the church, some churches even, some cultures within the local church have become so judgmental because they're so defensive about pe- people not following the faith, about people behaving like non-Christians. What do you expect people to behave like, right? I mean, what do you seriously? If people are not following Christ, what do you expect them to behave like? We need to look at them with compassion, as though. They are, they are not aware of gravity, not as if they pulled for another team. Nevertheless, we need to be distinctively Christian. We need to understand that God is revealing himself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The first thing he's saying is he relates. He's relational. Let's camp out there for a minute. God relates to us. He relates in and of himself. He's revealing himself in this passage as the Father. You, you hear the Father pronouncing something over the Son, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. Jesus is part of this Trinitarian unity, this three in one, and we, we, we think, I can't get my mind around that. Exactly. 
God is, is revealing something about himself that is that has a foreverness about it. It has an eternal quality that, that God is relating. When, when he says, when he says uh, let us make man in our own image, God is saying that, that he is one, but, but he is a community. He is relational. We can't understand this, so we, we, we come up with analogies that, that fall far short. Here's one, but it helps a little bit. Three-part harmony. <laughs> Three-part harmony. It's a blending of voices for one sound, right? Some people will use an egg, and they'll say, okay, there's the yolk, and there's the eggy part, and then there's the, the what do you call the eggy part? I don't know, the white part. And then there's the, the shell, and that's, and, and that's a terrible analogy because what it does is it, it begins to, to separate as different. It, they are distinct, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're the same. The, the word for it is homoousian. It's the same substance. Uh, some people will use the shamrock, and it used to be used as a teaching tool, but, but there's a problem with that too. It's modalism, and it, and it, and it begins to say that, that God is so distinct from each other, they're not really one. I, I like the idea of harmony because there's this blending, but what's the point and purpose of what I'm saying about God being relational? It's because we're being invited into relationship, and we need to learn how to relate well. And what God is saying about himself is that he's one, but he's distinctively three. And what's so powerful about that is God doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants us in a particular way. He wants us to be broken people who are people of grace, who look to God and don't look to ourselves. You see, you've heard it over and over again, but what is, what is the end goal of that? It is to be a part of the Trinity. It's to be invited into the relationship of God, the Father deferring to the Son, the Son deferring to the Spirit, the Spirit deferring to the Father, and so on. Let me illustrate it even further. A good friend of mine um, that I worked closely with at Sigma Mountain died about nine months ago. A great guy, Sandy McMillan. Was a, was a Navy SEAL. My older boys revered him. I just thought he was a, he's a Navy SEAL. You know? And he'd tell them stories about his, his, uh, his time and training. One of the things that the, the SEALs have to do is they have to become a unit. They have, to, they have to survive together in conditions where alone they would die. They have to become one. They have to learn... They have to learn to surrender a, a sense of their individuality in order to serve something greater than themselves. That's another picture. That's another picture of, of God three in one. That, that, there's a, that, that there is not this individuality that asserts itself, but there is an interdependence and a celebration of something greater, and being part of something greater. Jesus is baptized in order to fulfill this greater goal of inviting us in. You see, what Jesus is saying to us is, this is the kind of community that we have. We love each other. And I'm going to love you with a sacrificial love 
so that you can learn how to reciprocate in that way. I remember growing up, my parents used to argue, but it was sort of a strange argument. They, they worked at their marriage in a way that really got my attention. Now, I'm going to go get the bedroom. You got to answer that. It's a powerful illustration of two becoming one, serving each other, outdoing one another. Now, they weren't perfect, and they... I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I didn't put them up on a pedestal, but I'm saying in, in that sense, in that quirky little illustration, here is the Trinity deferring to one another in a way that, gosh, you can live in that community forever. That's the kind of relationship that God is inviting us into. That's how important the Trinity is. God relates. Second of all, it's, second is this. And yes, a Trinitarian sermon should have three parts, okay? And they will come together as one. Second, God is beyond. He transcends. You can't get it. It's like three, one? I don't get it, Tim. Exactly. Wouldn't you think that if God reveals himself, that there's going to be a part of it that you're not going to get? I've said before, that, that what we try to do, our mistake, is that we try to find the corners of the square. I mean, four corners of the circle. We say, I want a square circle. Well, you can't have a square circle. Sorry. You're not going to understand something. None of us is. But isn't it amazing that when God reveals himself, shouldn't it be that some of it is mysterious? When Jesus is standing there, the heavens are opened to him. Now, the Holy Spirit is part of the revelation of God and, and transferring this story to us, we, can, we, we know more than the people there, but, but there's something distinguished here that, that, that there's a voice of pronouncement that everyone around can hear that Jesus is the one in whom God is well pleased. So everybody hears that. But why does it say the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him? See, Jesus, Jesus isn't just a man. He's fully God in human flesh. He's not to be preferred is to be worshipped. The heavens were open to him. What's being said here, you've got to pay attention. You've got to read the Bible and you've got to ask the question. Why does it say the heavens were open to him and not them? Because Jesus, in every twist and turn of this plot, is being affirmed as distinctive. Not just a really, really great guy who tried really, really hard, better than the rest of us, but God in human flesh. It's a little like this. 
it's like there was this conversation going on. And when I came to Thomasville, there were lots of conversations going on. And, and I could see that y'all were using English and you were talking to each other, but I had no idea what you were saying because I was coming in in the middle of a movie. And y'all had known each other forever. And, and everybody kept warning me over and over again, be careful what you say. Like, I'm going to talk about you, right? Because everybody's related to somebody, so be careful what you say. Okay, I'll keep that in mind because I just go around blabbing about people. Thank you for the warning. And, but I'm watching these conversations and I'm, and I'm, I'm fascinated because I'm, I'm thinking, isn't it going to be interesting to look back on this conversation? I wonder what's really going on. Because I'm sitting here and, and to figure it out because these people have known each other and I discover they're brothers. Oh my goodness. They look nothing alike. It's Jones boys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but then to discover that, that y'all are all cousins, all right? Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but I'm watching I'm watching these conversations, and I know that there's so much I don't get, right? Their dimensions, their nuances, and their their relationships and their histories and like the tone of voice was a little strange there. I wonder what's behind all that. And, and it's so interesting to watch all that, knowing that I am going to discover the layers and the richness of this, and I have. Not, certainly not all of it, but so much of it I have discovered. And in the same way, the people watching this conversation between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're going, there's a lot going on here that we don't get. The heavens were open to him. Finally, God not only relates, not only is he beyond, we don't, we're not going to understand all this. But he came near. He came near. Another distinctive of this truth. God came near. To be known. To make himself Knowable, accessible. That he may be known by us, that we may know him, that he may know us. God came near. It's powerful. And so often we want to keep him in the distance. I remember when I was a kid, I used to I used to joke around with my parents. I'd say, Bill Parental Unit number one. What are we having for dinner? And I remember that was funny until that my kids did that to me. <laughs> Wasn't that funny? When I, they began to speak to me, even jokingly, as just this generic authority figure. I remember, um, I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I remember how kids sometimes would stiff on me. And a lot of times, those are the kids that, that want they, they want to know you more than me. But they'd stiff arm me, and, and I would call them out, and I'd say, I'd say, I know what you're doing. You're trying to put me into this generic authority figure role because I'm safer now. Well, I'm, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay in there with you. I'm going to be in your face for the next seven years. See, God came near, not, not to judge, not to condemn. But he came near so that we would see that God is not just an office that he occupies. It's not just an idea that's out there. He came near to be known. You know, 
The mood of the country is pluralism. And part of it is that, uh, that what we're to do to find ourselves is to look within, right? Look within. Well, what do you do when, when you look, and what you find when you look within is not all right? It just leaves people in desperation. It just ignores gravity. Instead, for us to be distinctively Christian is to bear out in our lifestyle, in our words, our invitations, the one God who's revealed himself so beautifully, so powerfully, so excessively, and yet so transcendent, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for inviting us in. You don't need us, but you want us. Thank you for the reminder that by grace, through faith, faith pointing at you, God, not at ourselves, not at our very best, not at all our thoughts on God, but at you revealed to us that God, you're at work even now, even as we close with this sealing song, binding us together as one, even as you find one.